I'm glad lo- you said adorable because he's I was adorable. I'm so kind of in love with Norman Bates, and it creeps me out because it's that same. It's that same like cutting the class Donovan, Donovan Lynch, Donovan Lynch yeah, thing, where he's like, you know, he's kind of tortured. There's he, he has that little fucking stutter. It kills me. It's you just so need to cute. be careful of this in real life because you have a type, and your type tends to murder people. <laughs> Horror Movie Survival Guide is a weekly podcast where two unlikely gore hounds delve into our horror movie notebook from college, in which we meticulously kept track of every film we watched in the horror movie section of our local video store, in our quest to learn how to survive and to ensure we end up as As the the final final girl. girl. Join Julia and Marion as we revisit the classic and obscure horror VHS we viewed and logged in our notebook, breaking each movie down one by one, speaking out over all the ghastly minutiae, and ultimately illuminating the path to survival. Hey guys. Hello. Welcome to Horror Movie Survival Guide. We are the first podcast from Indie Popcorn recording at the circus. I'm Marion. I'm Julia. This is episode 28. In which we are going to be discussing 1960s Psycho. The tagline for this, well, the tagline for, well, let's see, we were doing so well and then I went and screwed <laughs> it up. I was like, wow, that was flowing real nice. You were feeling the pressure. And then, I, yeah, my brain goes, nope, can't do that. Uh, <laughs> the title of this of this episode Let's all talk about Marion, shall we? Yes. Julia picked this title, not me. I did. <laughs> I told her she had no choice. I had no choice. Because let's talk about Marion. She's great. I mean, also, I don't I don't get a lot of Marions uh, no. in sort of like, you know, kind of film. And uh, so when I hear someone say my name bunches of times, mm-hmm. even though it doesn't totally work out for her, uh, I'm pretty excited. Maybe that's, I kind of enjoy the the wedding singer quite a bit and partially, I think, uh-huh. has the character's name, Julia, even though I had to go around being Julia, 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 Julia. Mm-hmm. all through college, which is fine. Yeah. Um, so I picked one of the, there's several taglines for this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tagline that I like best, don't give away the ending. It's the only one we have. That's pretty good. I like that That's one. pretty good. And so there was a whole thing about this movie, right? Where like they wouldn't let people in late at all or you couldn't leave early or both or so what, what was the deal with this so alfred hitchcock pulled a very william castle-esque you know he was yeah. kind of riding that line mm-hmm. of like exploitation type stuff so the deal was there were these big stand-ups in the theater and there was mm-hmm. like a big sign and you were not yes you were not allowed in after the film started okay that was the deal got it so like they would like lock the doors you can't come in which uh-huh. i think is kind of awesome i do i think it's super awesome but like you be real precious about that art you do but, it well you know but you and i are the type of people that like i i if i was late for a film i just wouldn't go in because i was like yeah. nope i've missed the beginning and i'm not gonna go in now i've done it a few times where i've like you know it's like two minutes in and it just it always doesn't feel right yeah. i don't like it i don't like missing and even if it's just opening credits like i don't Mm, just doesn't. That's why, like, working at the New Beverly was always so curious when you had people who would come oh, in yeah. 10 minutes late, 15 minutes late, an hour late. Uh-huh. Like, have you seen this film? No. And you're just halfway, halfway through. Yeah. That's just a, a, a level of being that I do not comprehend. Also, people who, like, really took their time when they went to the bathroom. Because, like, if I have to pee in the middle of the movie, I mean, it's like the dam is going to break. I got to go. And I'm like, <laughs> and, like, go. And it's like the fastest pee in the entire world. And I miss, like, 60 seconds. And there were people who would go and miss, like, five minutes of it. Not because there was a line, just because they were taking their sweet time. Um, I heard about uh, that there used to be um, in the 30s and 40s in movie theaters, they would pipe in the sound for the movie in the bathroom. So That's that such the, a good idea. Right? So that, I know you can't do it now with the no, multiplex. No, it would be pretty impossible. But, you Unless know, you sat down in your stall and you could press a button that wow. was like 
piped into the theater where we're gonna, you're in. We're going to make millions. I'm just saying. These are all good ideas. But like, how did they have that in the 30s and 40s? We don't got it now. I I'm know. like, this is 2018. I know. Where is this for us? I know. It's like, we can have every kind of Coca-Cola in the world, but we can't hear our movie in the bathroom. I know. What this is that how it is. <sighs> So back to Psycho. Anyway. Um, so <laughs> so uh, apparently um, auditioned for uh, the role of Marion Crane. Uh-huh. Uh, Eva Marie Saint. I can see that. Lee Rymack. Makes sense. Angie Dickinson. Okay. Piper Laurie. Huh. Shirley Jones. Interesting. And Lana Turner. I can also see that. Okay. Out of that bunch, I would say uh, Shirley Jones would be the most interesting. Yeah. To see or Piper her. Laurie. Yes, but like Piper Laurie always had kind of a sexy thing going on. I think like Shirley Jones is so squeaky clean looking. Mm, okay. Even more than Janet Lee. Yeah. To be like, oh, and she's like screwing this guy on the side and sure. here she's in like brown panties. Yeah. And, like, it would be interesting. No, no, no disrespect to Janet Lee, who yeah. is, does a superb performance. No, she's great. But it's that this movie is really interesting. And this movie was made in 1960. And it is really interesting. Again, it's one of those movies where I think it's definitely it's to your benefit to watch it and try and really imagine the times in which this movie came out um, because the beginning of this movie, them sort of being in bed together, her being in her bra and skirt and like all this kind of stuff. It's very shocking for 1960, like literally just seeing people, uh, you know, having this kind of like on their lunch break, they check this unmarried couple checked into a hotel and it's very obvious what just happened. And that's how your movie starts in like the middle of the day. Yeah. You know, and again, that's sort of that kind of scandalous beginning, which is so not scandalous now. But um, it is even I, 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 I was like, whoa, like right. Because off. you know, this movie takes place in 1960. Yes. Oh, OK. Because I but feel that's like- my point is because you're really picturing the time in which this movie came out. Right, where and, people go, wow. And putting okay. these scenes in that context. So, But yeah. even even today, like starting a movie off with like post-sex, that's pretty ballsy. Is it now? I feel like now that's like people, I feel, I, what I feel is ballsy now is when people have um, a scene in which two characters have sex and you don't show them having sex. Right. I think is ballsy now is like two people kissing, falling into bed and not having like a three minute sex scene. Right. Because the three minute sex scene is just like the norm. So to make the choice not to do that now, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay, that's good for you. That's the crazy choice, you know? Whereas I think this sort of this kind of, you know, this unmarried couple very openly talking about, and I like that in the beginning, that's kind of Marion's problem in the beginning of this movie is that, it doesn't feel respectable to her. She doesn't, right. you know, she very much loves Sam, um, but Sam Loomis. Sam Loomis. Sam Loomis. I just realized that for the first time. I really? was like, where have I been for Bing. the last 38 years? Because, yep. man, Loomis. I know. Hi. There's so many of these characters' names and, and sort of archetypes that are like the tip of the hat is seen just mm-hmm. throughout horror movie um, horror movies to come. Um, but, yeah, I like that in the beginning, like, it doesn't it doesn't sit well with her. Like we should not like, mm, you know, you should come over and maybe we can do this. And um, so, yeah, basically uh, uh, Sam Loomis and Marion Crane are sort of our couple in the beginning. Um, And Marion works for uh, this company. And and I, what I like about Janet Lee's performance is you just have the sense that she's kind of this character that's really kind of torn between sort of like, cynicism and romanticism Mm -hmm. you know because she kind of waffles a lot with Sam like okay let's just run away and get married let's go do this thing but we can't because I don't have any money and also like you're married and then also even though they're not together anymore and like Mm -hmm. there's just it's hard for her to see a path to happiness for herself she feels very trapped in the beginning of this movie yes which is a great setup for what's the choice that she's going to make next uh can I give a shout out to uh her fellow secretary who just 
wants to push tranquilizers on her constantly <laughs> and is talking about how she took tranquilizers on her wedding day and uh -huh. how her husband was not happy. Uh -huh. What? Yeah. Why funny. don't I have friends who are just like, hey, Julia, here's some tranks. Want some tranks? I got some tranks. I got some tranks for you. She's... The thing about tranks is, <laughs> I, yeah. yeah, I know uh, she is really fun. So uh, Marion works at a company that uh, does real estate, mm -hmm. and uh, her boss has just made a big sale to a big Texas millionaire who yeah. comes in and plunks down forty thousand dollars in cash on Marion's desk. Mm -hmm. the, the boss is like, eh, just well, and and the Texas millionaire is really skeezy to her. He is super skeezy. So I think that helps in this decision. It does, and also the equivalent, the realizing. I think I looked it up, and that money is basically like almost half a million dollars of today's money. And right. they're just like, hey, here you go. Go deposit this. Just cash. Yeah, just yep. cash money. In a, in a massive envelope. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so she has the job of going to take this money to deposit in the bank and decides not to. Yeah. It's really kind of – because when she's given the money, it's not like her eyes kind of glaze over and the thought occurs to her instantly. I feel like when she leaves, she's like, yeah, I'm going to go to this deposit. Like that's the thing. And then it's like, no. No, I'm not. I'm not going to do it. Like, just keep driving. Which just. is great because I, I love the use of the voiceover in this film where mm -hmm. you see, you know, because you just have a lot of shots of Janet Lee driving and you get these voiceovers of what she thinks people are going to be saying yeah. about her in yeah. her head. And this is what I really love about Hitchcock in general and why, like, kind of his movies, some, some, a lot of his movies are some of my favorite horror movies, is I feel like you have this great mixture. It's sort of like in the last podcast when I was talking about what was kind of lacking in Friday the 13th mm -hmm. for me about kind of character development and people kind of being interchangeable. I feel like the characters' choices are so complicated and so nuanced and so interesting. And yet you the horrific elements or the gore elements are great you know mm -hmm. the um this there's this great opening sequence to this movie um this title sequence oh, by Salt Bass, sequence. right and it has like and that's where you start hearing the the bernard herman score which is so wonderful throughout this movie and especially once marion's made the decision to take this money and leave and like drive out of phoenix and you know you hear the score just kind of amplifying her tension and in this kind of romantic way mm -hmm. that it, with the black and white photography and this movie so well shot and you know so beautiful to look at it's just it's a great combination all the way around of like oh this probably isn't going to end well something's going to happen oh, right she knows she shouldn't be doing this sure and like like we talked about with friday the 13th how you take that score away in that movie's lessened by yeah. a lot yeah same with psycho I and agree. i and alfred hitchcock admits it yeah you know he says he cut it together and he was like Meh, about it and then he heard the score and he was like oh my god oh really yeah yeah well i mean fair i feel like if that's what you're delivered you're like wow i'm a i'm a genius <laughs> <laughs> this movie's gonna do gangbusters <laughs> and it did and it did uh its budget was eight hundred thousand dollars oh yeah and it made 40 million Oh, yeah. So that isn't this like his most successful film, mm -hmm. right? Wow. And it's like later in his career. So mm -hmm. that's kind of interesting. Uh, it's his last one in black and white. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so uh, so Marion basically goes on the lamb and uh, she's driving and she falls asleep in her car and she wakes up and there's a police officer who's I love the way that they shoot this guy where it's his huge face mm -hmm. where he never takes the glasses off, just like right up in her grill. And she is a terrible liar. Yeah. Um, and is not, which I think helps the character ultimately. Um, and she just wants to get away and she kind of uh, drives away from him and decides that she has to swap cars. Cause I think she realized it's a Friday, right? Mm -hmm. So she basically has till Monday before they really realize what's happened and that she's made off with the money. 
Um, so she swaps car, the swaps cars, the police officer has kind of been following her, is kind of watching her. And she's just like the epitome of a nervous Nelly yeah. the whole time she's doing this, you know, I, like you were a bad thief. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like this is what if, if I did, attempted this, it would really? be the exact same thing. Yeah. I'm a terrible liar and wow. I would be so fucking nervous and I would just be like, oh, I'm fine. No, good, good, great. No, yeah, is something yeah, wrong? No. I, I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> I know. That's so, this, so this is the consequence of like when you, when you just like spur of the moment decision yeah. and then you realize what that spur is, like the rest of your life is yeah. now fucked totally it's like characters who um you know they kill somebody and then the rest of the movie is like it's um have you heard crime and punishment yeah that whole book is like i killed this woman i killed the woman i killed the woman or the woman that i killed like that's the whole it's like a thousand pages yeah. of like him being stressed out about killing this old woman like that is that whole book that would be us uh, yeah exactly that's the thing when and you just you watch these movies and you're like oh, i should just never do anything really bad because you're just stressed forever mm-hmm. and that just that just seems like a lot. Yeah. Um, so eventually, um, you know, Marion's sort of doing more and more thinking about this, but she, uh, it starts getting dark. It starts getting rainy. They have these great sequences where she starts imagining the voices of the people when they discover what she's done and the conversations that they she had. And it, her, again, gently does a great job of her face kind of waffles between being stressed out to kind of being proud of herself. Mm-hmm. Like she has this little smile yeah. at the end when, you know, the, she imagines um, the sort of the, the the Texas oil man who gave her the money of like, yeah, and she just flirted with me and I didn't even know. And um, it's, it's really great. But uh, she eventually sees these lights um, through the rain and the lights reveal to say Bates Motel. With a vacancy. With a vacancy. And she pulls right in. Um, and uh, who comes down to greet her is this adorable boy next door. I'm Lo- glad you said adorable because He's I was adorable. I'm so kind of in love with Norman Bates and it creeps me out because it's that same it's that same like cutting the class Donovan, Donovan Leach, Leach yeah, thing where he's like you know he's kind of tortured there's he, he has that little fucking stutter it kills me it's you just so need to cute. be careful of this in real life because you have a type and your type tends to murder people and so <laughs> I feel like you need to, <laughs> so I feel like sort of when we're kind of suggesting horror movie survival right. guide tips I feel like you got to have someone with you who does this is not their type right um hey serial killers out there if you're kind of cute you have a stutter you wear bowling shoes Hit me up. And you're kind of lonely and like nobody understands you. And you just like munch on candy all the time. I know. He's got that cute little candy thing. I know. I feel so, it's so conflicted within myself because I know know how horrible it is to have a crush on Norman Bates and yet I do. I think, again, it just makes this movie so much more rich, so so much richer and so much more complicated because I think he comes down. And I think this is something I've read about that the... This this is a, uh, a book originally, yes. and in the book, Norman is older, and he's described as a physically different type. Um, he's supposed to be kind of creepy. Yeah, and he's like sort of heavier set, and isn't he like closer to 40 mm-hmm. or something? And so it was sort of the choice of Hitchcock to cast somebody like Anthony Perkins um, with all of his charm and his kind of boy next door quality and stuff, and... I think it's great because even though the whole setup seems creepy and it seems like people would be like, do not pull over to this motel, do not stay at this motel. When you see him, you're like, but okay. But but this guy? This guy's cool. Probably fine. He's fine. He's fine. Um, so they, he has a line about it, right? He says, like, I have a face you can't help but believe. Yeah. Correct. He's true. Um, and so he invites her in uh, to have some sandwich, to have dinner with him. Um, and uh, Which is interesting because I know in the beginning of the movie – 
I think one of the first lines is Sam talks about that they didn't eat their sandwiches right? because they had lunch. And then she had sandwiches with Norman. Mm-hmm. Um, and they go into this back room office that is full of taxidermied animals. Which is his hobby. Which is his hobby. Which is creepy. Yeah, it is. But he does point out that he can only do birds. Right. He says he couldn't do like a fox or something like that because right. it's too much too human, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. think like, oh, okay, he's all right. You have limits. I mean, he's a line. That, he's not going to cross that line. P.S. Right. He's going to cross Crossing that line. all the lines. Um, when, um, when he goes up to get the sandwiches, we do hear him having an argument with his mother. We do. Uh, who, who sounds is, terrible. Who sounds like a terrible hag. Yeah. Who is just you like. Who is that? Who are you talking to? And, and yeah. you can imagine if you were someone who had a mother like that. Yeah. What? Yeah. But it's great because Norman comes back and Marion's like, you know, if anybody talked to me the way that your mother just talked to you, and they have a great conversation, probably one of my favorite conversations. I in think this that movie. scene might be my favorite scene. Yeah, because you get the most Norman kind of interaction mm-hmm. and like his backstory, and he's talking about his deal and how he feels, and he's incredibly honest with this perfect stranger. Yeah, and you can see like, oh, okay, he's this you know normal guy who's so lonely that yeah. he's just going to grasp at any human attention he can and i feel like she's emotionally very honest with him as well yeah. you know i think this the scene does a great job of kind of setting them up as almost like kindred kindred spirits mm-hmm. because she has that line about you know we're all in our private traps and you know he kind of talks about you know doing things that you know he regrets and obviously marion is full of doubt and regrets about this money you know that we she's just stolen and so they kind of set him up like um, you know, and he has that classic, we all go a little mad sometimes. And again, if you know what's coming, it means one thing, but if you're just following the movie up until this point, Marion obviously thinks she just had a moment of madness. She just yeah. stole $40,000 from yeah. her boss for no reason, mm-hmm. you know? And so they kind of, I feel like the conversation kind of ends with them, but it also is tinged with awkwardness. It's also tinged with, you can tell that he likes her. Yes. You can tell he's attracted to her, mm-hmm. but because he's sort of this disarming personality, it doesn't, and you can tell that she can tell it yes. in a way that like a woman can, where mm-hmm. it's like, okay, I can tell he likes me, but like, this is a, not a threatening situation. So it's okay. Right. You know, and it's I very like, well done. It, it's, it's, I mean, it's Hitchcock. Yeah. It's, it's masterful. And yeah. the performance is, you know, you just read so much into their characters and that's from their performances yeah. that, you know, you can tell he likes her and she knows that he likes her and yeah. he knows that she knows and it's a whole yeah. thing. Um, but she does, uh, give a kind of hint that maybe mom could be put away somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Norman says, you know, have all the eyes on you and have everyone laughing at you and and gives a hint that maybe he knows what that's like. Yeah. Maybe he has been on the inside of an institution. Which makes him so sympathetic and mm-hmm. to make you kind of be – and you can tell, you know, like from Janet Lee's perspective, you're like, poor kid. Yes. Like that's, that's a tough gig. That's a um, – one of the sort of other little subtle kind of hints that I think they give at what's to come is I really like when he's – uh, describing room number one that she should be in. And, you know, there's that great moment where his hand picks which room mm-hmm. and he, you know, very obviously chooses one for a reason. He has these moments where he stutters over certain words and he stutters when he talks about the bathroom in room yes. number one. And as soon as this conversation ends, Marion goes in to start, you know, changing and getting ready for bed. 
And Norman takes a painting off the wall and there's a hole that points into the bathroom and he starts watching her in the bathroom, get ready. And that's when... The thing, the thing about it, Julie, is you kind of don't care. Like the, the main thing I, I is like it. you don't totally write it off. And this is why I you, know. you need to have the special friend that is not attracted to the Norman Bates, Donovan, you know, <laughs> Donovan Leeches of the world. I'm um, going to die so quick. You're just man. in trouble. You're I know because there's I know that I should feel disgust that he does that. But I find Correct. it a little hot because he's kind of pervert. Mm. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> See, our, our producer likes it too. Terry likes it too. It's not just me. No, okay, you can't be. All my types are creepy, uncle. And I'm like, yep. Okay. Wow, that's cool. Ladies, you guys can't be partners. You cannot be partners together in this. Yeah, you're both going to end up in like cement basements. It's but just... also, you know, Hitchcock is the master of the voyeur. Like that's yeah. his whole deal. Mm-hmm. So I think it's kind of a stand-in for himself and mm-hmm. um and that's maybe why I like Hitchcock as well is like there is this kind of pervy angle to Hitchcock mm-hmm. that it's always like these really beautiful women and they're very icy and they're very reserved and they're very unattainable and like right. there's these gentlemen who are lusting after them yeah and they're they're never attained right. and I think that that's also you know speaks to who Hitchcock was is yeah. that he you know always famously did have things for all the people the girls that he cast right. um and so I don't but know. On, but on top of that, though, he also is giving the women also have just as fleshed out, nuanced roles as sure. the men do. Of course. So it's like they're both. Mm-hmm. And that is not like a guarantee in, you know, any decade and certainly not 1960s cinema where like their characters are just as rich. So they're like the object of, you know, kind of the voyeur. But their character is so rich and yes. so interesting. And sure. that I is mean, not a guarantee. And that is not common. And I think that's also kind of where his talent lies and it's really apparent in this film. No, I agree with you. The girls give as good as they get. I mean, mm-hmm. they completely are, you know, equal as far as their, you know, their manipulativeness, their everything, like everybody's got their own deals going on and it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And or, or even also too, I think their aggression in like sorting it out, like right. later when it becomes about Sam and Lila, yes. like she's on it. Like right. Lila's on it. Um, so yeah, so basically this is all kind of leading up to the infamous shower scene. Yes. Um, which is pretty frightening. Which is, um, yeah. Obviously the score is a big part of it. Yes. But all those shots and, I mean... So, so you know, this is. I assume you've seen Psycho. If you're if you're if you're listening to this, if you don't, you know that there is an infamous shower scene right. in which um, a, a seemingly uh, old woman right. comes in to stab uh, Janet Lee to death, yeah. and the score and the the shots and the uh, her like breaking off all the, the shower curtain mm-hmm. and then that that like and then that like eye shot, yeah, um, like the the pulling out, but kind of like twirling as it's pulling out, spinning it's, around, yeah, yeah. really. Uh, I mean, we could do a whole podcast on just that, you know, I just, know. and they've made a documentary about that one shot, you yeah. know, one sequence. So yeah. it's, it's pretty great. The the thing I like about this is that you get Norman coming in uh, and afterwards seeing what's happened. And you hear him where he's like, mother, blood, no, yeah. mother. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, and then you see him clean it up. Yeah. And I think that that's something you don't almost ever see mm-hmm. is the murder being cleaned up. Like and bit it, by detail yeah, like, bit. I'm going to come in with a mop and a bucket. And I'm going to gonna... pull down the rest of the shower curtain. I'll wrap her in it. I'll back the car up. Like all the details that someone has to go through. 
This is where could, I'm going to put the car. Yeah. And they could easily have just skipped that. But they like yeah. really like painstakingly show that he's going through all this to protect his mother. And at that point, knowing what you know about the character, it totally makes sense. So again, you're not really angry at Norman for it. You're just like, I mean, you're obviously super domineered by your mother who's the worst. And yeah, you are going to do this for her. And mm-hmm. you kind of also get the sense that like it's not his first rodeo doing this for right. her. And luckily, so you're like, oh, your mother's like this awful serial killer. And you're this boy who can't escape it. Like. It's pretty tough, Norman. But pretty we got tough. this. We got this swamp in the back that we can just. That swamp is helpful. That swamp is super helpful. Very helpful. But here's the here's the thing. This is why I'm I'm not as far as you are in terms of like the Norman Bates attractiveness level. However, when he puts the car in the swamp at about halfway through, it stops sinking. Mm-hmm. I was like willing the car to keep sinking because mm-hmm. he has that look where he's like, oh, and the car stops, and then it keeps going all the way down. And I kind of wanted it to sink. Yeah. And that's and really like Janet Lee has been our protagonist up until this moment. Such a so so to suddenly switch it where you're like, oh, kind of want the guy, you know, the person who's sort of helping with her murder to get away with it, and you kind of are okay with that as an audience member. It's a cool stance to have. It is a and cool it's, stance it's, to have. I don't think you get that in a lot of horror movies. I agree. I also like that the money that she steals is just a total MacGuffin and like just gets chucked in the back of the car and gone. Yeah. So the whole thing that this movie, like everything revolves around this $40,000 that she stole, right. which just gets... It didn't even matter. Didn't even matter. It has nothing to do with anything. Yeah. yeah. I also like that, I mean, this will be the beginning of it in this film, but um, the sort of revolving protagonist, mm-hmm. because then it's like, oh, it seems like it's going to be Norman. But then we're introduced to uh, Marion's sister, Lila, played by Vera Miles, and she shows up at Sam's hardware store to kind of be like, where the hell is my sister? Like, apparently there's money missing and she's gone. Do you know what's going on? And then we're also introduced to this private detective, Arbogast, who, you know, is trying to figure out what's going on. And we kind of follow each of these. So we're kind of with Norman. We're kind of with Arbogast. We're Mm -hmm. kind of with Sam and Lila. You know, everyone's trying to figure out what the hell is going on and where's Marion and all this stuff. And I feel like the rest of the movie kind of rotates between all of these people in a way that's really interesting. It's not like one person that we're stuck with the whole time. It's hard to make work. And that this really works. Yeah. That you're thrown halfway through and then you go, oh, okay, who are these new people? But then you're okay with following these new people. Yeah. Arbogast has a great introduction. Yeah. Who comes in. So Sam and Lila are talking about Marion and what's happened to her. And from the title of our episode, Arbogast mm-hmm. comes in and says, let's all talk about Marion, shall we? Mm-hmm. And really reveals he's a private detective and he's been hired by her boss to come mm-hmm. out and find her the money, the, mi- the money, yeah. uh, where, where, where she is. So he goes around and uh, stops at a bunch of, uh, they know that she was headed out a certain way and he's mm-hmm. doing uh, hotel check by checks and then stops by the Bates Motel. Yeah. And uh, has probably my favorite uh, scene in this movie where it's the conversation between Arbogast and Norman where Arbogast smells the, mm-hmm. this kid. Some, all is not right. Something is great. And um, this is where I don't know what he's eating. Do you know what Norman's eating in he, this? I, I looked it up because I he because he offers him at first I had no idea. And then uh-huh. he has a bag in his hand and he offers Arbogast candy. But according to the Internet, it's specifically candy corn. Oh, it's candy corn. Okay, that Although makes sense. you can't ever really see what he's eating, but Got apparently it. he's eating candy corn, so, which is so adorable. I, <laughs> it's so adorable. Um, this oh, and he. Uh, I hope someone's taking notes. <laughs> I hope someone out there. I'm so messed up. You chuck all the boxes. Uh, when Arbogast shows up, uh, Norman is about to change all the linens and all of the cabins, right. and he says, uh, "My favorite line: uh, hate the smell of dampness, don't you? It's such a I don't know, creepy smell. Mm-hmm. And who knows creepy." 
better than Norman. Even so, the creepers find something creepy. Yes. So, um, and so, but it, it, it's, it's a great conversation because just from his disposition and almost immediately, like all of the spidey senses now, Arbic gas goes off. Like this woman was here. Something went down. Definitely. Uh, she signed the guest registry, but she signed it under a different name. And he shows um, her her picture and Norman says he doesn't know her, but then, yeah. oh, wait. But then he has a copy of her handwriting. So he kind of figures it out pretty quickly. And I love there's a shot in it where I'm mean, just going to get real nerdy about shots right now. There's a great shot in it where he's nervously chewing the candy corn and Arbogast wants him to lean over in order to see, to see the signature, to see that they match. And his neck, where you can see him chewing, kind of extends over the camera lens while he looks. And you can tell from like the stress in his neck that he's caught. And it's not from the eyes and it's not from the mouth and it's not from sort of these traditional his places face at all. Yeah. It's really from like the stress in his neck where mm-hmm. he's reached over and then he kind of, you know, goes back to his position. He's like, oh yeah, I guess she was here. Oh yeah. I, and I love that shot so much. Yeah. It's a great shot. Man. Um, that, so I mean, good. It's just the bottom, it's just the bottom of his chin. That's all it is. But that shot like seals it. It's I amazing. guess this Alfred Hitchcock guy knows what he's doing. I guess he did. I guess he did. Um, so and then they sort of are trying to pressure um, Arbogast to kind of reveal, you know, was she here? I bet she was. And my favorite line is um, set in that where um, Norman says, she might've fooled me, but she didn't fool my mother. Um, and then, you know, you kind that's when RBS is like, okay, so there's a mother. Okay. So interesting. So he basically phones back to Sam and Lila kind of letting them know where he is, what's going on. There's this mother. I'm going to go upstairs to have a chat with her. Um, and he does. And there's this great goes up the stairs. And again, the sort of the theme of that shower song kind of, uh, uh, score, uh, comes again as he reaches the top of the stairs and you see again, a mother looking figure come across the landing and kind of stab him in the face or mm-hmm. like, or like it came down across his face yep. and he has that great fallback of the stairs, which I'm not even really sure how they did that. I looked that up. Okay. Explain so it to me. He's apparently he's staying on a platform. He's staying still and he's just waving his arms. But he's moving down. He's not moving. There's a shot. The the background itself is moving. Like back projection style? Yes. Uh-huh. So that's, he's staying still. But the actual, the back it's projection. It's so disconcerting. It's really, it's, it, yeah, because you can't, your eye doesn't know what to make of it. Yeah. It's like, oh, he's falling, but he's not falling. What is this? I don't understand. Which I love because it's obviously from Arbogast's point of view. Yeah. It's like you've just been suddenly stabbed at the top of the stairs and you're falling but the way in which you're seeing your own fall is fucked up. Yeah. And so it wouldn't be right and it wouldn't be normal. And it's just so well done. It's great. So Arbogast too, checked in the swamp. Sorry, Arbogast. Sorry, Arbogast. Um, you didn't last very long. Right. So then Sam and Lila basically show up and they kind of smell something is wrong almost immediately. And they have that sense, the same sense too, that, you know, Norman is highly suspicious. And so, so they're going to check in as husband and wife and right. be real normal and mm-hmm. then uh, check it out on the side. Right. And then the plan is that Sam is going to go chat with Norman and distract him while uh, Lila is going to go upstairs and see if she can find Mrs. Bates. But the thing is, they've been told at this point beforehand... By the sheriff by the sheriff that mrs bates died that she, 10 years ago right that she had taken a lover um and that it was like a murder suicide um right. so there should be no mrs bates but sam had seen like a shadow of an old woman he's sure of it and arbogast mentioned it too so there's got to be an old woman something's up um so she goes uh and i love how she eventually she first goes into the house goes upstairs sees the bedroom with all the creepy stuff sees the like mother imprint on the bed uh-huh and then ends up going downstairs Norman realizes that where's Lila? She's been gone for too long. She rushed. But can I mention before yeah, this, yeah. the shot of, so when Sam is trying to kind of goad 
they think that he that uh, Norman Bates has stolen the money to get a new hotel. Right. So he's trying to like worm out of him that he's stolen this money. Right. And they have the shot of Sam where like Norman's clearly at his breaking point and yeah. you see him and his like hands are on the counter and his fingers are twitching and his like whole face is just twitching and he's uh-huh. so uncomfortable and he's like about to lose it, about to lose it, about to lose it and then sees that mm-hmm. she's up there and kind yeah. of bolts after her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, yeah, he and Sam kind of struggle and Sam's kind of knocked down and then he runs upstairs. But he runs, um, Lila goes to hide in the staircase leading down to the cellar. Um, Norman runs upstairs and then she's about to kind of go out the front. But then something about the fruit cellar goes down to the fruit cellar and we see the back of Mrs. Bates. And so she goes up to say her name. And when she turns her around, she's just like. It's not even a skeleton. It's like a corpse that is that somebody attempted to preserve. To taxidermy, if you yeah. will. Um, and then the like amazing shot in this movie where she freaks out and hits the swinging light bulb, which, you know, we will see in horror movies till the end of time now, thanks to Mr. Hitchcock. And Norman comes in in the full mother outfit and his face... When he comes in, it's like a delightful psychotic glee mm-hmm. to see her. And he's got the world's biggest butcher knife. And he goes for her. And luckily, I mean, if it wasn't for like, I, I mean, I think Elila does a pretty good job of being kind of a very aggressive. Let's get down to business. Let's figure this out. She would have been screwed in that situation. I think this, the sheer shock of seeing Norman dressed like that, like she would have just been toast. Like if Sam hadn't come in, yeah. Sam comes in and grabs his arm and they struggle with that light bulb swinging back and forth. And Anthony Perkins is doing the craziest stuff with his face. Like it's like contorted and someone who was so adorable mere minutes ago is now. I mean, see, now I don't find him attractive here. Oh, I'm so glad. Like uh, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just making that clear. <laughs> there is a line. There, there is, is a line. line. I we, don't find and we that just sexy. Found the line. Yes, that's the line. Um, it is. It is so nuts. And so then we have sort of this, and that's when you kind of realize it's been Norman the whole time. Uh, can I just point out that I find it interesting because um, I, I watched them back to back that we had Friday the Thirteenth. Uh huh. We had a mother killing for the son mm-hmm. and then we have psycho where we have a son killing for the mother yeah i think that mother son relationship is really rich in the horror movie world mm-hmm. and there's a lot to explore there if you really want to go for it yeah. you can go to some pretty dark places um so then we have the sort of very famous epilogue which i know a lot of people sort of have like a love-hate relationship with where the or psychiatrist just like me right where the psychiatrist kind of breaks down what you just saw and what the hell it all means and i and i wonder if this is not really for a 1960 audience to it really can- understand because they kind of mention words like well then he's a transvestite no and then it's like split personality but what does that mean and so he has to kind of break it down and i don't know maybe at that time it was necessary well i don't know i know that this the studios really pushed that on hitchcock and he really didn't want it he thought they would be sophisticated enough to not need it yes so i think it's for me the same like the end of rope is very similar where Mm -hmm. you have like this kind of like badass ending and then like Jimmy Stewart's going to go on to break it all down for you folks. And I'm like, that kind of just like takes away from all everything you had before. Mm-hmm. I think if this film had ended on a freeze frame of the mom's face, mm. it would it would be that mm-hmm. would be the ending that I would want. OK. And I understand why, you know, the studios were like, well, we kind of got it. Like maybe people don't understand it. And like, but I, I think if Hitchcock could make that film again, he mm-hmm. would say no. that what I would think what I think I would kind of I I don't super mind the epilogue I mean I sort of get it in in the sort of expository nonsense kind of way but also I think emotionally for me what came just before is so like oh my god that like it gives you like 
like this come down time emotionally with it. And I do really love the bit from the moment they bring, she says she's cold and they bring her, the mother, the towel or blanket. And you hear that whole inner monologue. I wouldn't even hurt that fly um, in the mother's voice. And also that great moment where from we're in the hallway still and from out in the hallway, you can hear the mother say, thank you. Yes. When the officer had, I mean, I love that. So I wonder if there was some sort of way to transition from that, you know, the sort mm-hmm. of the fruit seller bit to like the, the guard saying, oh, she asked right. for a blanket, you know, because that whole bit is great. And that whole um, voiceover is great in his face, his face where you finally see him just. Right. And I, I mean, I, I like that the, you find out that Norman's completely gone yeah that he is now permanently or they think permanently the mother Mm -hmm. um so that's kind of an interesting uh, touch but i again i understand yeah yeah um, but i don't i don't fully mind it but i do understand why people are like this is a bunch of nonsense Um, uh, so this you know this film uh gets is 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 the first of many horror films to uh be based on ed gein who is a serial killer from the 1950s in wisconsin who was grave robbing and who was very obsessed with his mother and be, yeah. and was making a skin suit to be his mother. Um, so this goes on to Hannibal Lecter and to mm-hmm. Leatherface and Texas Chainsaw. And and it's it's an interesting because you think, like I think when I was watching Psycho, because Psycho's such a great film that came from such a horrible thing. Yeah. And there's so many films, great films, that have come from this one horrific thing. Mm-hmm. It's like so interesting that something that starts out as as horror literal horror can Mm -hmm. turn into something kind of artistic and beautiful because i think art is being used as an explanation yeah because i think when these things happen you know human beings can't help be like what the ever-loving hell was all that about and i think that everyone if they're making a movie about any kind of version of ed gein it's all i mean even texas chainsaw which you know it's not my favorite but i think it's all kind of meant to be like some kind of explanation it's some a filmmaker or a writer putting themselves in that person's head and trying to be like what was all this about right and then kind of serving it up as art sure Um, well i mean that's what you know i think that's what the fascination with serial killers are is is why 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 are you doing this yeah and And i think what i think um psycho does a great job about is not only answering the why in a really complicated way but also just from a story wise so great with the red herrings Mm -hmm. and the like you think janet lee's our hero just kidding never see her again and also dead um you know and so uh, you know, not only answering that question, but then padding it with all these other interesting characters, great conversations, amazing score, whatever. It's just this movie's kind of the whole thing. It is, and it makes me want to watch uh, Bates Motel, the show, which I haven't watched. I haven't watched that either. It, I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I not? I don't watching know. The what show? are we doing? I don't yeah. know. Let's watch the show. That. I know. Okay. <laughs> See you tonight. Uh, so uh, we have our rating system. So for this film, we have Gore Factor. One is not enough blood to fill a Dixie cup. Two is a puddle of blood. Three is not enough blood. I'm sorry, three is enough blood, throw it goes out the average viewer, <laughs> four is bathtub of love, and five is run for the barf bag. We give this a two. Yeah, I think so. What is it? A puddle of blood? Yeah. A puddle of blood. There, there is a puddle of blood. It is. Black and white blood, which does make it easier for Marion. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to look away from black and white blood. I didn't look away from black and white blood. Okay. But I did look away from Night of the Living Dead. No, I look away from black and white gore, but not black and white blood. Right. It's the guts I, that it's bother you. It's the guts, you. even in black and white. Even in black and white? Not for me. Um, movie rating, zero to five chainsaws. One, if you're desperate. Two, barely qualifies as a horror film. Three, seen worse, seen better. Four, not too shabby. And five is fantastical. This movie is a couple of fives from you and me. Two fives. Yeah, of course. Of course. I would give it like five and a half. We do all this and I'm like half. 
half a chainsaw. You know, no. like, what? That's insanity. So um, how do you how do you survive uh, Psycho? Because I guess it's you know it's even Arbogast who is trained yeah. to pick up on people still gets it. Yeah, I mean I think also I, what I think also is tough is like these characters are so screwed in some ways because I don't think like their 1960 brains are depraved enough to even imagine that kind of See, that's deal. the bonus to depravity is that I can go, okay, correct. I can understand this. Correct. Yeah, you're right. I just, I do think that I I feel like the Norman Bates's characters of the world and what they put off and the kind of creepy, like your radar has to be pretty high for that. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like if you are also attracted to it, then it becomes complicated. And yeah, my producer Terry and I are in so much trouble. Yeah. Sorry guys. Luckily um, I haven't dated a serial killer yet or maybe I have and just know. didn't know it. You just don't know. Uh, uh, but I think that's your only hope because really like Norman Bates is the only signal of like all is not right. Like he is it. And you would never suspect him in a million years. Correct. Because anyone who enters that house, unless a big, strong Sam Loomis is there to save you, you're done. So just be suspicious of everyone is what we're saying here. <laughs> I just feel like the Norman Bates of the world, you are right to be suspicious of, you okay. know, maybe don't go into the room right next to the office, you know. Okay. maybe lock your doors maybe also barricade them i don't know these are all things just just tips yeah, yeah. a few tips a few tips <laughs> uh thanks for listening to us talk about uh 1960s psycho uh you can find us on our stuffs yeah and uh say and also hi. if you um could leave us a review on itunes that would be helpful it helps people find us and uh we will be seeing you next week talking not seeing you but listening you will be hearing us anyway you- that was a mess um <laughs> you'll be, we'll be talking about uh tom holland's child's play we will be in your brains uh, chatting about uh, child's play. yeah a beginning of like another whole massive franchise and we love tom holland don't we we do love tom holland I but do. chucky i have some things with oh do you i do oh we're gonna talk about those things we will indeed all right we'll see you next week all right see you guys